This is the Identity Shockwave podcast, where we explore the journey of self-discovery and the many layers of who we are as we ride this wave called life. Four questions, real people, endless exploration. I'm your host, Lori Vaitzig. Hey, you made it. Welcome back to the Identity Shockwave podcast, where we explore all things identity and self-discovery. My name is Lori, and I am so stoked that you are here. And if you've been listening to the podcast and you like what you hear, please do me a solid and like on social media, follow, do all of those things. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and even YouTube. And if you can give me a five-star review and maybe leave an actual review, that would mean the world to me because I want to get this out there. I want to spread it to the masses and show them how much fun we have here, right? Right. So today we're doing the intro a little bit different because typically I would kind of have it written out before I got into the booth. At the very least, I'd have some of my thoughts written out that I wanted to talk about. And I'm doing it differently because listening back to my first couple of episodes, I sound a little voice actory. It sounds like I'm actually reading from a script. It sounds super polished. And while that might be nice for the listening experience... I want you to hear who I really am. And not to say I wasn't who I really was in those instances, but I kind of just want to shoot from the hip and see what happens here. So, hi, my name's Lori, and uh, hopefully you'll see what a wackadoo I actually am. All right, enough said. Today's episode, we are continuing the theme of confidence. The confidence in knowing who you are at your core, standing in your truth, and not fitting any expectations that other people have put on you. Not fitting into any mold that people think that you should be fitting into. Doing what you love. And that's exactly what today's guest does. So get this. I've known our guest for 32 years years. Yeah, I know. I'm really dating myself with that one. But, and yes, this is one of my best friends. Can you believe it? I'm interviewing one of my best friends. (laughs) Yeah, welcome back. So I know this person very, very closely, very intimately. And it's been amazing to see the transformation that she has gone through throughout her life to now be standing in this confidence, just fully knowing where she belongs, and who she is, and what she loves. And I'm so excited for you to get to know her today. So let's get into the podcast. Here's Molly Smith-Piro. Molly, welcome to the Identity Shockwave podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm very honored to have been asked. Thank you. I'm very excited to talk to you today. So we've known each other for 32 years, and I know you very well. But I'm curious to know, when you meet somebody new or you're in a new situation, how do you identify yourself? What's your elevator pitch? This is a really tough question for me, actually. And truthfully, my hope is I can come come back on again and have a better answer for you after doing some self-work. Well, let's see. I suppose to the average person that I meet, I'd say... I'm a new mom, and I work in the film business, and probably those two things. I bet people get excited when they hear you say you're in the film business. They're like, ooh, do you work with celebrities? Like, what exactly do you do? So I work in the costume department. I live in New York City, and I'm in two local unions. One's the costume designer union. The other is the wardrobe union. It's a very long drawn out explanation as to the differences of the two union two unions. I, I work on set the majority of the time, dressing actors, whether it's first team, which is the lead actors, or if it's background actors, or if I'm back at base camp, which is where all the trucks are, prepping costumes, setting costumes, or if I'm running the wardrobe department, coordinating with the costume designer, or if I'm on the other team, helping design and shop. So there's a lot of exciting areas within the department to involve myself in. I think it's so cool. And there's two things I want to say about the different areas that you work in. One, as far as when you go shopping, do you remember that time we ran into each other on 6th Avenue, like randomly? 
No. So many years ago, I was I had gone shopping and I was walking down sixth and like fourteenth and you're like, Lori? And I was like, What? what? And you were shopping for something. I don't know what show it was at the time, but it was when I was living in Brooklyn, so it had to be like anywhere between ten and fifteen years ago. So that was I probably wasn't shopping. I was probably a PA then doing returns, which is like the hardest job ever. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you have to like lug stuff around the city? You do. Usually you have a van with you, whether you're driving the van. If you're lucky, you have like a drive driver um, PA helping you tote everything around. It's a really hard job. It's a really hard job because obviously you're returning. You're not buying. So people definitely don't like you as much when you are giving them back thousands of dollars worth of clothes. <laughs> so you have to really hone in on these people skills of being really friendly and really personable, chatting people up, sometimes making up stories, stretching the truth, flat out lying as to why you're returning stuff, depending <laughs> on the store, depending on the people. And this is in New York City. So there are tough personalities at the register that you're dealing with. But it's cool. At the end of the day, you you kind of see like what you're made of oh i can imagine having to like go up to the register and again like you said you have thousands of dollars of merchandise and you have to justify it and who knows how long you've been holding on to that because of how long you know the shoot schedule is it could be over 30 days who knows and you have to go up to these people and it's part of your job you have to get this money back like would you yes. was there ever a situation where they just would not take back the items and you had to explain that to your boss I don't think so. And and usually, like, everything's so organized in the wardrobe department. It's crazy organized and structured. So we always have to make a point to return things before the return date. Like, it's wild how much clothes you buy. Because when you do fittings, when costume designers do fittings, you have to have tons of options, you know. And, like... Just think about yourself going into a dressing room if you're shopping at Bloomingdale's. You pull, I don't know, a couple shirts and pants. Times that by 10 because it's a collaboration with the costume designer and the actor as to what this character is going to wear for this scene. You have to take photos, send them to the director for approval. And so we need options. As soon as the fitting is done, they get processed out with the coordinator who keeps track of the receipts and the returns and then goes to the PA who then does the returns. So it's usually a quick turnaround, actually. So I, I don't recall ever being denied, but there's certainly I've worked in retail, too, and it's a it's a blow when someone comes in and does a $500 return, a $2,000 return, because it messes up your numbers that day. And I'm like, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to do it. That's the toughest job. That's the entry level position in this department. It's not a union position. It's where you learn. And yeah, you learn. You learn a lot of, what do you call it, like street smart skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can you imagine. Know? I feel like people don't really understand how much actually goes into a production and what you yeah. were just mentioning i feel like hero costumes that doesn't even include background actors and everything Ugh. else i don't know if you touch on that at all i know a little bit about this world because in a former life i worked with props and costumes for a major film studio and i remember i'd be texting right. you sometimes either asking for advice or like should i keep this or because i would have to also help with wrapping productions and either Mm -hmm. liquidating the stuff that we didn't want or keeping the stuff we did want for archive or for auction. So I understand. And those are for films. Actually, I did TV too. But the amount... It's the same level. It's crazy. The amount of clothing. Mm -hmm. To tack on to what you were saying with when you... Your job, your job comes in, your former job came in where my job ended. Mm -hmm. So when we're wrapping a show, if a series has ended, it's dead, it's done, no more. We have to go through all the clothes, pull what is principal, pull what is background, assets, depending on what the show considers an asset. That's a number, a price point. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sometimes these clothes just get bagged up and put away for eternity. But think about it this way. Like you did what was like a Mad Men mm -hmm. showcase or yeah. something. Mm -hmm. So the organization that someone in my position did 
was for a reason for several years later for AMC to take those costumes out and display them for the public to see. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I like having a job where everything really has a purpose. Yes. My job is creative in some aspects, but it's really meaningful and I and to us like to us the creators you know or or to the crew rather I'm not creating but I'm I'm the crew you know and it's great to do a job where you feel like it matters to the end result of the project oh for sure there's a couple of things that you said in there that I want to touch on I love the idea of how you brought up an artist has a palette of colors and, you know, these materials are your colors and this is how you create the world that you're developing with these programs. You're right. I remember we shot a lot in Atlanta. That's where a lot, a lot of productions film. And when we were wrapping, other productions that were friendly with people on this crew would come in and buy stuff yep. off of us. So yeah, it's a real, there's a lot of camaraderie there and there is a lot of things being passed on and used. And then also, if it's a franchise, you're going to be using these things again. So it's not mm -hmm. like everything is going to go to waste. Like we need these things for continuity. And another thing that you mentioned about how it's so important, the job that you do is so important for someone like me coming in. I feel like there's almost like a science behind the tags and what you write on those tags in order for people to like fully understand, okay, this was an episode two, scene three, whatever it is, so that mm -hmm. when we are designing like a pop-up or a traveling exhibition or something like that, we know exactly so we can make a little placard being like, oh, Don Draper wore this in season two of Mad Men or whatever the case is. So Correct. it really is, again, I don't think folks understand how much goes into what they are watching and the fact that we have so much content right now and it almost like I don't want to say it takes away from the importance of everything but I feel like we've gotten very spoiled with how much we can consume that the fine details sometimes go overlooked. For sure. I'm sure with a lot of jobs you know, industries I have no knowledge in, you look at it and think of it pretty simplistically. I, I love the business I work in. It's so challenging and grueling and tiresome. It takes you away from your family and friends. Having a social life is really challenging. Going to the doctor is challenging. But the product that comes out of your hard work is so rewarding. And I mean my hard work and every other crew member on this show, like we're worker bees and we care about the craft. And so television and, you know, movies, the media today, like you said, there is so much, you know, you talk about fast fashion, like fast TV, you know, like True. pumping out these reality shows or these really poorly produced shows. and. People think they don't notice or care, but I tell you, if that is what the industry could end up becoming, you will see, you will not get the same level of quality. Yeah, the quality is, it's not what, you know, cinema was and should be. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we're all going through right now, not to date this episode with you, but, you know, with the strikes, mm -hmm. like, this is why it is so important to keep the integrity of filmmaking at what it is, and as well as improve it, because every department has something to contribute. And I mean, like the carpenters, the grips, the electric, hair and makeup, like, Everybody is so talented and so magical and come from all walks of life. And I love, I think that's one of my favorite things about work is the different walks of life that come together to create one product. Like we are crazy different people, different personalities, different ways of dressing and presenting ourselves. And we all are in it for the same reason and all like get each other in some really weird way. Mm -hmm. And there's hundreds of people that can work on a set and you're spending like 12 to 
sometimes even like 20, 24 hours together at a Mm -hmm. time for, you know, weeks or months on end. And so I can only imagine the type of uh, relationships that you build. Um, What inspired you to get into this business? You know, a few things. And I and I and to be honest, I sort of didn't listen to my gut about getting into this business for a really long time. I've always loved old movies. I would say that's where it first began, old movies and television. Like, you know, I'm born in the 80s, so the 50s and 60s. God, I just was like so excited about any film or TV show that I watched from that time period. And then my father's a film editor, and I used to go to work with him. And looking back, I loved going to work with him at the time, but looking back, it was probably one of the happiest times in my life, being at work with him and being in at his office. Now, he's post-production, which is not production like I do now, but I don't know, like just being around... I guess a creative energy. I remember watching the editing and going to the audio editing and being in the dark rooms and the loud sound, it would be repeated and you would see like the big computers. And it was just so exciting to me. I always just found that world exciting and almost sort of like a secret world. Like if I could only experience that, like, wow, how lucky would I be? And you know, I've always dressed different and I guess fashionable or not different, you know. I think so. Based on your opinion, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but a little outside the box, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so people are always like, oh, well, you're going to be a fashion designer, right? You're going to do fashion design. And I was like, I don't know. And sometimes when you hear things so much, you're like, well, I guess that's what I should do. I guess that's who I should be. And the fashion world never really excited me, entranced me. A lot of people were like, oh, you're going to go to FIT because, you know, we grew up on Long Island. So the the general assumption, I was like, no, no, because <laughs> I also consider myself fully an artist. Like I paint, sculpt, draw and all the other things. So I was like, I don't really want to be a fashion designer. Anyways, long story short, through my whole college career, I got a BFA, but I did land in the fashion department because I really wanted to learn to construct clothing, pattern making, draping, and all that stuff. And I will never forget this teacher, department head, (laughs) who said to me, I had said to him, well, you know, I'm really interested in costume design and film. He goes, well, then you should just do theater. Like, I don't know why you're in the fashion department. It's not the same thing. Mm And it totally, like, stunted me. He didn't give me room to think outside the box at that point. He told me, no, if you like film, you don't do fashion. Now, now that I'm in this world, theater and film are very different animals. Oh, yeah. I will say I have learned more about the about fashion and clothing being in film and television than I ever learned doing like entry-level fashion jobs. So it took time for me to follow my gut. And once I landed in this world, everything just felt right. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I belonged and I was understood. And as hard as it is, it feels right. So I think you need to listen to or, or cue in on just like your general interests and like take notice into what you really what do you love not what do you like what do you love mm-hmm. and i love film and television that's such a powerful point to make and i feel like a lot of the times we overlook those things about what do we love because we feel pressure to either fit into a mold or some type of responsibility that we have in our lives and what i love about you is You've always been authentic. You've always been who you are and liked what you liked. Everyone knew you loved Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) And you never, even though you're kind of a shy kid, you still expressed yourself through clothing, through your art, and you never let that stop you. And now it translates into this amazing profession. And as confident as you are, I'm sure it probably wasn't always that way. So when you were getting into this profession, did you ever feel like a fraud or had imposter syndrome or felt like you didn't belong? No. Now that you say, ask me that, no. Nice. I did feel that way, though, when I worked in fashion. Hmm. The only time I felt maybe imposter syndrome was just 
having to learn things that I didn't know yet. Sure. But that's, you know, you got to give yourself the grace and the space to learn. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you go to school to be an accountant and you become an accountant, you still have to learn certain things that you could only learn on the job. I mean, I assume the growth, the learning curve, that was really hard, but I knew I was doing a good job and I knew I just had to keep persevering, keep going. You know, I, I do enjoy feedback. I do enjoy validation, especially from my bosses and superiors or people have been doing it a long time. Sure. And I felt like I was getting either words of affirmation or I just felt in my gut like you're doing it. Just keep going. You know when you'll get to a place where you've got it and you know this position, you know this job, you know this whole department. And, you know, being there now, I mean, there's always something to learn, but I feel really good now about all the experience I've had. So I just feel so lucky to be able to say that which is crazy. I never, I've never thought that before. Yeah, that's honestly amazing because you make a good point. Anytime that we start something new, we're in the learning phase, but I feel like a lot of people, myself included, if I don't get something right the first time or I'm not like perfecting it immediately, I feel like I shouldn't be there. Like I don't have a seat at that table, but you're right. We're learning and we're there because we love it and we want to be. And we're going to be the best version of ourselves eventually. You just have to give yourself that grace to learn and grow. And I can imagine, too, you know what you're doing at this point. Does it ever feel like when you go to a different set and you're going to a new show or program, does it feel like a new job sometimes? Oh, it's a new job every time. And that took a lot of getting used to because each job does run differently depending on every factor of the location, the executive producers, the sh you know, the showrunner, your costume designer, your supervisor, your team. So yeah, it's, it's man, I mean, truly, I'm sure the majority of America has, I don't know, one to three jobs in their lifetime. And, and I mean, in their professional field. I beg to differ. <laughs> okay. Well, That's just my story. <laughs> I can sometimes start a new job three times a week. Yeah, it's crazy. Now that, again, now that I'm more experienced, I do feel way less anxious and uncomfortable about it because, like, I know what's required. Every job I go on to, it's pretty much the same requirements as to what position you're filling in that day, but it's new people. And imagine going into a job with a completely new crew this often, you know, again, sometimes a couple times a week, a couple times a month. It it, it varies. So. I've gotten used to it, but oh man, it was really, really scary and yeah. hard in the beginning. Yeah. Like so stressful, especially when you just like, when you're starting out and you like don't know anyone and you can't like, you know, text your coworker, former coworker and be like, have you worked with this team before? You know, have you worked with this person, that person? And they can give you the scoop on maybe what to expect. That was super challenging. I don't care as much anymore, you know, because I can kind of get the insider scoop on what job I'm being offered. And also what's amazing about this job, this business is you can say no. And it doesn't matter. No one's going to ask you why. No one's going to question you. You can just say no. And that's it. How powerful is that? And talk about people skills. I feel like yeah. you yeah. have really had to sharpen them over the years because one, you're going into a new job with a brand new crew, strong personalities. I know that hasn't always been easy, but also no. I feel like you have to be comfortable and confident enough in yourself to enter these spaces that you got to be sure of who you are and what you're putting out there and know that you're there for a reason and they mm -hmm. hired you because you're the best at what you do. And that's all you can put forward in there that this is this is who I am I have a seat at this table and just be confident in that yeah and that's definitely something else that's developed over the years of being in this industry a lot of it was really having to say to myself every morning be incredibly friendly today Molly say hello to everyone that passes you 
ask questions with a smile, never say no, of course, unless it's in, you know, a dangerous situation. <laughs> but, you know, you're always happy to do something. Yeah, I, I will say I've become really proud of myself in the sense that I've become very assertive and very like no nonsense. I actually, the way I am at work, I would say I'm not necessarily like that in my outside life. When I'm at work, I am business. Don't mess with me. I am here to do my job. I'm here, again, depending on my position, like I'm here to serve my superior. I have a reputation to hold. And a big thing about this industry is your reputation. You spend so much time with people in one day. You want to be around people that are a pleasure to be around. Mm -hmm. So being a team player is super important, super important. I remember last year when I was, I've been doing background the past few years since I've had my son, background day playing, meaning I work when I can, uh, when it's offered to me. I remember we were dressing, we, on this particular show, we dressed hundreds of people in a day and there was someone that's difficult and a couple of my coworkers who were so sweet were like, Molly, you go in and deal with her. You're you're better at this. You're good at talking to people. You're good at dealing with these personalities. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I still think of myself as like a shy girl, as a quiet girl. And it was so, it was cool that my coworkers were like, we need you. We need you to take care of this. Like you've got the personality to deal with it. And sometimes doesn't matter what kind of personality you have. It's a difficult person and you got to go above your pay grade to deal with it. But it's empowering. Yeah, I bet in some way that feels super rewarding because mm -hmm. it's something that you've always wanted to be acknowledged for and that you've worked towards and you've really put yourself forward on wanting to present that way. And so when you get that validation, oh, I'm so about validation. When you get that yeah, from too. your peers, <laughs> oh man, that feels good. It's like, you think, you think I can do this? You think I'm the best for the job? All right, let's do it. And you go in. Yeah. How did that situation pan out? I'm curious. I mean, great. I, I handled it. Nice. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I don't remember even exactly what went down, but I was like, all right, I'll go deal with it. Bye. And I dealt with it, you know? <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to disappoint, you know? Yeah. Like if you trust in me and you believe in me, like I'm going to carry through for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come through. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of things also that you said that I feel like is important when you're entering a job situation, there's a separation between your personal life and your professional life. I try to bring my personality forward in my professional life, and I think that really does help because in a lot of instances I was working with clients, and so I'm super charming and personable, and I correct to crack jokes and make people laugh, and that's really right. helped, but I also have my work voice that I put on, and mm. I Me get, too. <laughs> yeah. And then you get home. It's just like pff, all that out the door. You're just going to relax and just be who you are. And mm -hmm. it's not so much. I guess maybe I didn't set that up the way I wanted to. I guess what I was saying is that not to that you're not being your authentic self, but it's fun to be a different version of yourself that mm. is a mirror of who you are at home. And yeah. then when you're at home and you're amongst your friends and you're a little more relaxed, you know, you don't have to put that on. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think you get what no, I'm saying. I, well, to, so to respond, because that's getting me thinking like, okay, so especially I would say the most intimidating times at work are when still when I work with a famous actor, especially if it's a famous actor. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... I need to, A, do my job really well for them, for my boss, whoever. Because you're getting up in their face, right? Like you are. Oh, yeah. I'm with them. Yeah. I am dressing them. I'm keeping them comfortable. I'm also responsibility for, uh, I'm sorry, I'm also responsible for the continuity on set. I got to be present and make them comfortable. I... I like to say, or I visualize in my head, I put this mask on or, or off, whichever, I guess on. Hmm. I literally just see myself like putting this entire mask onto my head and maybe even down my shoulders. Cool. 
And I switch gears in my head and I'm like, you are going to be this way now. So for me, that way is A, treating this actor like a person, like a human being, not acting like a fan in any way, shape, or form, Mm -hmm. not acting nervous, not acting insecure, not questioning yourself. And believe me, there's questioning going on in my head. There's nerves in my mind. But that's also when you have to challenge yourself and figure it out. Figure it out. You know, a lot of thinking and problem solving. Don't ask stupid questions. I mean, I had a boss that was like, before you ask me a question, really think if you can answer that question yourself. And I actually found that to be a really valuable lesson Mm -hmm. because you really can figure out mostly anything on your own. And if you can't, you ask the question. I think asking questions are incredibly important. But you have to problem solve, make this person comfortable, think ahead. There's so much that goes into it. And so I want to be my best self. And I am. And maybe I feel sick that day. And maybe I had a crazy fight with my husband. And God knows what might be going on in my life. But I cannot bring that to work. I cannot put it on the actor. They have to do their job. They don't care who I am. They don't need to hear my problems. I, you know, my dad's always said to me, and no offense actors but my dad's always said to me never think an actor is your friend they are not your friend they Mm. are there to do a job you are there to do a job don't be fooled don't come up with some false narrative that you guys are buddies and I tell you I have seen it happen with other people at work and he's so right he's so right yeah there are relationships that have formed absolutely but at the end of the day this is work you separate it out. So I like having that. Like you said, your voice can change. Your your shoulders are back. You're maybe extra friendly than you would be. And, you know, that takes work. So when you get home, you are exhausted being the best per- version of yourself. And you just want to maybe be a bitch. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Yeah. All day long. Oh, my God. I used to be so exhausted talking to people. It's exhausting. Oh, man. And, you know, I enjoy it because I like to make people feel good, as I'm sure you do, too. And it's important. Mm -hmm. It's important in your role to make actors feel good because you can only imagine, like, they have people staring at them constantly. And also, Mm -hmm. if you're being weird, you can take them out of their mental place that they got to get to perform. And it's very, very, very touchy. And for me, it was always, I got to keep these people happy and engaged or else they can leave. And that could be, you know, a hit on my numbers too. So Mm -hmm. always constantly. Yeah, I could get fired. Yeah. (laughs) But you did mention at the beginning of this episode and a little bit uh, earlier, being a new mom. How has being a mom either, one, changed or shaped your identity? And has it had any type of impact on how you how you present yourself at work? Yeah, I'm definitely going through the motions of having a bit of a lost identity between now that I'm a mom. I landed in a place before I had my son, where I felt so good about where I was at, who I am, how to take care of my personal needs, how to be a good employee and hard worker and all that stuff. And it's funny, my husband said to me the other day, well, what did you think was going to happen after you had him? Like, how did you envision moving forward with your career? And the only thing I envisioned was just working part-time and working as a day player, but I never considered how it would affect me as me, which is weird, but I just didn't. The one thing that I've become is certainly less selfish. And I don't even feel bad saying that I've become a selfish person. I think that's okay. I think you need to learn to take care of yourself and always put yourself first. And that's true even now as a mom. I can't be a good mom if I don't take care of myself. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm a wreck and not mentally in a good place, I can't parent the way I want to. So learning to find that balance is probably the biggest thing I'm working on right now. But I always put him first in 
most situations now, whether it's like big or little, like I shop for him now. I don't shop for myself anymore, which so many people have said happens. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. So at work, again, I've only been working part-time since he's been born, like pretty little part-time. It feels good to be back to myself when I'm at work, the person I've always recognized, but I find very quickly I miss him and wish I was home to be there for him because I know he needs me and wants me to be a support for him. So that's something I'm really working on navigating within myself, the guilt, the emotion behind it, figuring out, you know, I miss making a steady income. And my husband keeps saying to me, but we need you at home now. Like you're so valuable at home. He needs you. I need you for him. And I appreciate those words, but it's really hard to fully embrace that when I have found myself in my career and I feel so at home and so myself when I'm in my career. Mm-hmm. So when I'm home, I do love being home with him. And I've always, you know, I like I've said, I love all the old TV shows. And even though we know how phony they were, like I Love Lucy, I always loved the idea of being home and caretaking. Turns out as an adult, I really do love working and find so much happiness in creating and being in a creative environment. So I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. I'm like really in the thick of figuring that out. Being a new mom, I can only I can only imagine what impact that makes on who you've been up until that point and then who you are and who you want to be moving forward. Yeah. I can only imagine that it's a give and take and you're, you know, kind of I can only think that I would probably struggle with that myself. But I think that also just comes with time and experience, like anything new that you're starting. However, this is a life. So you have to. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely, completely different. But, you know, that's a really good point. Because like what I even said earlier was like when I entered the business, it was like, oh, my God, I have so much to learn. You know, it took a good amount of years to really feel secure and comfortable with my role. And so I could really just remind myself that, same things going on right now. Mm-hmm. That's where I land in this situation. And and it's navigating those choices and it's really difficult. So, you know, we'll see what's to come. But that's that's it's hard. It's hard. I can only imagine. So with all that said, with all these different changes in your life and how you have to be quick on your feet. And be able to shift because not only are you a mom, but you also have this career. And both of those take up a lot of your energy and your attention. And again, you just have to be quick on your feet and be able to pivot really easily. And I'm sure that's part of all of your experience culminating into who you are and your identity and the strength that you've built over the years. And with that, what parts of your identity make you most proud and which have you struggled with the most? I have, without a doubt, learned that I'm a very strong person, that I'm able to navigate and persevere through really difficult situations, dealing with either difficult people, difficult environments, difficult situations. And I guess essentially for the sake of what matters, the sake of my career mattering, the sake of my personal life mattering. And that's not to say when these difficult times come that I'm like, oh, I got it. Like, I'm good. Oh, my God. No. Like, it is in the moment you're just like, oh, how am I going to get through this? Like, how am I going to get through this? Sometimes you feel like you are moving through mud one step at a time and to go five feet takes five hours. Mm -hmm. I have dealt with that a lot, but I don't let it get me down. I don't let it stop me. If I really want something or if I know something's meant for me in my life or in, or an experience I'm meant to have, hard as it's going to be to get there, I, I get there. I make it happen. 
And I'm scared most of the time, but I get there. And that feeling on the other side is like the greatest feeling you could have. I mean, I could have. It's, ah, so I'm really proud of that trait that I carry. And I guess going hand in hand with that also is having to deal with the anxiety of going through those things. You know, like it would be great if I didn't have the nerves and anxiety that I feel working through to get to these places. The overthinking, the projecting. Those are things I would love, I do work on, and I would love to really get a handle on. Sometimes I do have a better handle on it, but especially if I'm not in a great place of feeling like I'm contributing to the to life or to myself, I get really down on myself and I'm really mean to myself. Mm. You know, I'm I'm so hard on myself, very critical. And so that's where I would like to improve. Oh, I, I, I work on improving all the time. So yeah, that's like a yeah tough side yeah. to it all. There's a story or some kind of like life lesson thing where this man had three plants and one plant he said really loving things to. He like spoke it to him. The second plant he said really terrible things to. And the third plant he didn't say anything at all. And he did this over a course of time, let's say 30 days or whatever. The first plant thrived. The second plant that he said terrible things to wilted. And the third plant that he said nothing to completely died. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important with that, you know, that's energy that you put out. Being kind to yourself is something that is so important. The words that we speak to ourselves, the thoughts that we have about ourselves resonate. You know, energy flows where, what's the saying? Energy goes where energy flows, yeah, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure, obviously, with life and experience, that's taken a lot of time for you to be able to get to that point. And just me knowing you personally, I know that it has taken a lot because, you know, again, when you're little, everyone's like, oh, the shy kid. But you really mm -hmm. weren't. And, you know, you really, it, it's really been amazing to see, honestly, to see you cultivate mm -hmm. like this strength in yourself and to be this like smart and confident and strong person. And I think with most people, I think many people can really relate to that and find validation in your story. And just know that it's about the journey. It's all about these yeah. experiences that we have that build us into the people that we are and that we want to become. Was there ever a decision that you made that changed the trajectory of your life? Well, I guess two things ended up going hand in hand. I started out after college, I got like this little opportunity to work on an indie film and I met really great people. And then truly due to what this professor said to me in college, I, I thought, I got I to gotta work in fashion. Like, I have to. If I don't, I'll never get an opportunity. And so I didn't realize the film business wasn't like, oh, I'm getting a job and that's my job forever. Like, I thought, I didn't realize the jobs end after a few months, you know? Mm -hmm. So I turned down an offer to be a PA on Nurse Jackie. And I regretted it for years. Oh, you love Edie Falco. I love Edie. That was the first person <laughs> I worked with on this indie. Oh, cool. I did a little bit of trying to work in the fashion industry, and it didn't happen. And unfortunately, that was at a time where, and we just had this conversation privately, that was at a time where you had to work for free, unpaid internships. Mm -hmm. And that was the standard. You could do it for months and not get paid, not get paid food for food, not get paid for travel, literally free labor, unending free labor. And the whole idea was, well, it's something for your resume. So that was really soul sucking. That really made me feel terrible mm. to be just like, 
not valued, you know? So I don't know how many years it was. It feels like a few years. I finally got the balls. And I mean, I was so scared to do this. I finally got the balls to the courage, sorry, (laughs) the courage to contact one of the girls who I had worked with on that indie. And I was like, hey, you know, I was like super chill, like no big deal. Hey, I was thinking uh, about maybe getting back into film. I don't know if you like know anyone. And she was like, absolutely. I'll send your resume out. I'll tell everybody about you. Within hours, I got hired to work as a PA on 30 Rock and Boardwalk Empire. Wow. The next week. One of the happiest moments of my life that I finally, God, I I can see myself. I can see the pain of me just pulling the trigger and sending this text or email, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I finally did it and I immediately got rewarded. So that was my first door opening into, I'm going somewhere I want to go. Cut to, I landed, God, it was probably another year and a half before I landed my first full-time job on an eight-month show. That job proved to me what I was made of. It was still to this day the hardest job I've ever done. And it's not because it was my first job, because I still I'm still very close with people from that job and they they all say the same thing. Oh, that was a incredibly hard job. People who have been in the industry forever said that was an incredibly hard job. I did things I never thought I could do. I, you know, I drove to crazy places unknown to me every single day. I drove in blizzards, thunders, hurricanes at all hours of the night, two hours away. I started making real money and I realized all the things that people in my life at that time made me feel about myself were not true. I started to believe I was a certain way because I wasn't in my element and my soul was not being fed. And so people decided I was a certain type, I was a certain way, and I believed them. And I didn't like myself at all. And then when I was at work doing this incredibly challenging job, I realized people like me a lot. They like me for who I am. They like my quirkiness, my uniqueness, my, my work ethic. I'm happy. I'm happy at this job, this insane, crazy 17-hour-a-day job. And I started to really see this difference in myself. And I saw the person that I am supposed to be, that I am. And so it made me realize a lot of things in my personal life were not meant for me anymore. It wasn't who I was supposed to be. It wasn't where I was supposed to be, which then led me to eventually deciding to get a divorce. And I had been with my former husband for 12 years and was incredibly ingrained in our life. and. Having to leave that was life-changing. So the two things kind of went hand in hand in that I took that step of bravery. Now, it may seem simple to someone like, oh, okay, you sent an email. Like I said, I'm an anxious person. I get myself psyched up. I project. So to do that and to enter the film industry, my God, like that's really scary So to take that leap and then to get an opportunity and then to say, I will not let anything stop me. I'm going to show everyone who I am. I'm going to show you how hard I work. I'm going to show you how skilled I am. Succeed and then see what a great person I actually am. It led me to realizing, you know, the life that I had been leading wasn't for me anymore. And it is not an easy decision to make to leave a marriage. Never, ever is that easy, no matter what the situation or circumstances are. But we only have one life, and I wanted to lead a life that I felt good about myself. So, yeah, those were life, those are my life changing moments that all kind of happened within a year or two. How incredible it is that you're able to have this hindsight that you can look back to those moments in your life and pinpoint it to those specific experiences. And I'm sure, obviously, every other experience like led you to this point. But 
to look back and to see how much you've grown, how much effort you've put into becoming the person that you wanted to be, regardless of what people were projecting onto you. So right. mazel tov on everything <laughs> that you've, how hard you've worked and the strong sense of self that you have. I think it's really incredible. Thank you. Yeah. So to wrap things up, I want to circle back to my first question and see if maybe, maybe you answer differently. Who knows? If you don't, that's cool too. But mm -hmm. how do you introduce yourself? I think I would still introduce myself in the same way currently, you know, that I'm a new mom and I'm figuring it out and that I work in the film industry in the costume department. But I think it's also important for it not to end there. I think that I'm also a creative. I'm a designer, visionary, and I think there's still a lot to come for me. I'm always changing and growing. And that takes guts and bravery. And while I'm scared, like 75% of the time, I know it's always worth it in the end to pivot when your gut is telling you it's time. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing yourself, Molly. And here's to 32 more years together. Yay! Okay. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to the Identity Shockwave podcast, hosted by me, Lori Vaitzig. Catch us next time for a new episode with a different guest that is sure to keep the conversation interesting. A big thank you to Let Me Crazy for letting us use their music. I'll catch you later. Just